Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be at camp meeting. We thank you for this special session that we can hear the words of wisdom from your from Lori. We pray that we can take home things that will help us with our daily lives. And we thank you for all your many blessings. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for coming. It's been a wonderful camp meeting. Did you know that this is the last seminar session of camp meeting? You're going to boo that? Boo. Okay. But here we are at camp meeting, and everybody's got happy faces. Remember, we've been talking about smiling this week. Everybody's got happy faces. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy. We're doing really good. Only the problem is that even though that we're happy, did you know that 85% of you, according to the statistics, 85% of you are holding a grudge against a parent, a brother or sister, a spouse, an ex-spouse, a friend or ex-friend, or someone else in your area. Did you know that? How many of you agree that that's probably true? Okay. What do we have to forgive people for? Let's talk about some minor things. What are some minor things that we forgive people for? Have to forgive people for. Rudeness. Those are annoying things, aren't they? There's a difference between annoying and things that are done intentionally. So give me some things that people do by being that are annoying. Lying could be very devious, I don't know, but being late would be another. Those are little minors. What else? <laughs> what was that? Yes, that's why I'm asking where my uh, person is that was supposed to come here. That's annoying. Okay. Um, people who, who correct you. You ever had people who correct you? When you're talking, no, that wasn't that day, it was this day. And it had nothing to do with the story, right? Or do you do it to somebody else? Women, they love to do that to their husbands, right? Or how about jealousy? What kinds of jealousy is out there? Jealousy about somebody who got a degree that you didn't get, or notoriety, or a prize, or you thought that you had something coming to you, or something like that. What about people who hurt our feelings, like, have you gone to camp meeting and somebody you know doesn't know your name? Or they don't know, they don't act like they know you. Have you ever had that? You go up and go, hi, and they go, hello. Yeah. And you go, so, how's things going? You go, I don't know. It's like, have you ever had that? Or how about you go up to people and you walk up to a crowd and you think that they're your friends and they just kind of, and you're, you're right back here and they just start talking and they just kind of ignore you. Any of that? Yeah. What about bullies? Bullies are a little more intentional. What do bullies say? And they're not only at school, right? They're where? Yeah. They aggravate you. They mock you. Yeah. Okay. They can also um, tease you about your religion. They can tease you about your weight, tease you about your clothing, tease you about your hair. You know, those are personal things, aren't they? Think you can get annoyed by that? 
You ever tried to um, turn around and ignore them back? Because that's how we feel when we're hurt. We try to give them a cold shoulder. Or you never let them in your circle again. What about people who've done things that have been really hurtful, like taking your job away? Or said something to another person that caused a huge ripple in your family or whatever? I bet all of us can feel that, right? Or somebody who shuns us and we don't know why. You ever had that happen? Or people who um, don't think well of us or demean us or say, you know, way to go or, you know, that's kind of like you or I'd expect that of you, that kind of behavior. You ever had that? Getting really quiet. Because most of us can remember those things, right? They're hurtful, are they not? And here's one of the encouraging things that we're going to talk about today, is that God has come to this earth. He sent his son to this earth. And he's here with us to help us get through these things. Isn't that encouraging? And he's going to help us. He can free us from the turmoil we feel. So 1 John 4.20 Let's look at that. 1 John 4.20 If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother, can I say, or sister, or husband, or neighbor, or boss, or friend, that person is a liar. Is that pretty strong language? If we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we've not seen. Anybody can say that in a different language? Uh, I mean, you know, kind of our personal language? If I say that I love God, but I shun people or throw insults at them or gossip about them or hurt them or annoy them or agitate them on purpose, then I'm really not a Christian is what it's saying. Is that not? So how many of you can recount something that's happened to you that was really traumatic? How many of you, uh, I'm a woman, how many of you have had a mother bear experience where somebody said something about your kid? You ever had that happen? Okay, I'm not alone. I'm going to tell you about, there was a man at my church and he was annoying, right? Annoying. He had um, been counting out music for kids when they'd get up to the pulpit. He would start, you know, doing this like trying to get him going faster. And uh, he'd say, sometimes he would shout out from his pew, faster, faster. Or if they would be singing up front, he'd go, off key, off key. I'm not kidding. And I felt annoyed. And you know what? That went on for a couple of years, but you know what? It was always everybody else's kid. Now, is there a problem in letting something like that go? I think there is. When we let something go, what happens? It builds up and it gets hot. And actually, it's like a furnace, and we need a valve that shuts off, I mean, that lets the steam out. And we need to tell somebody when they've been offensive. And this man had hurt my friend who had um, been leading the music, and she stopped coming to church. That was very hurtful. I remember the pastor's um, children played beautiful music, and um, the, he did that to them often. And one day, my daughter was asked to play the piano. 
Well, my daughter um, did not feel really confident about doing the piano. She was very good at the piano, but she only did it because her friend, uh, my friend, Diane, who was our secretary, had asked her, and she wanted to please Diane. And Diane said there was nobody at the Lansing Church that could play that Sabbath, and she hoped that she would play for her, even all the responses and all that, which my daughter said, oh. And my daughter had actually had special music one time, but because she's shy, is that, is that normal that you have a shy daughter when you're not shy? But anyway, she was so shy and sweet, she had been so worried about getting up and doing the special music that she got a migraine that Sabbath. And um, so this Sabbath that, that, that Diane had asked her, she was really worried about it, and I knew how she felt. She was feeling really stressed that she was going to have to um, do this. And she continued to try and keep up with the music. The organist was really fast that day, which is a good thing, right? Sometimes we go to sleep in church, right? And he started in from the third pew. Faster, faster, hurry up. You're not keeping rhythm. Everybody sits around and listens to this every week. Nobody says anything. But her mother was there that day. And it made her mother mad. Ooh, did I feel mad. Have you ever felt that mad? I felt mad. When you're mad, what happens to you? I felt my face getting hot. Did you ever feel your face get hot? You ever felt like this like surge, like, like old faithful coming up in you? I mean, I knew what a hot flash was before it happened. I'm just like, that was this... Like that. So anyway, I continued all those years of him doing that to other kids. That I started thinking about that. You know, when you're really angry at somebody, you start recalling all the bad things. Have you noticed? Got a list. And he did it to them, and they did that. He didn't have the right. Who does he think he is? And then, you know, I am a pastor's wife. I should, you know, act a certain way. So I tried to be really calm. And you know how they dismiss people from the church? Well, they dismissed from the front. I came out of that eighth pew, and I ran up to the third one. And when they went to dismiss them, I sat right in front of them and said, why don't you remain seated? We need to talk. And I thought, well, that's great. Everybody's getting dismissed out of the area, and then I can really give him the talk, right? And I am not proud of this, by the way. I want you to know. So he said, well, I, I kind of want to leave. And I said, no, you need to sit down right now. And he said, well, I'm going to be late for potluck. And I said, food is not important right now. We need to get some things settled. So I said to him, I noticed the way that you were pounding on the pew and saying faster, faster, faster. Was that because you are a music teacher? Oh, no, no, I'm not a music teacher, he said. I didn't think so, I said. Was that because you're the pastor and you needed to get to the sermon faster? Oh, no, no, I've never passed her. I'm like, that's what I thought. Was my intention to make him feel good about himself? No, no. So then I said to him, so, you know, for years I've listened to you annoying people who go up front. You know, children, you know, when Jesus, don't you love it how we use the Bible? <laughs> or we use, we use something that we know to try and get somebody? And I said, when Jesus 
talked to people about issues, do you think he got to know them first? Oh, yes, yes, I, he, he knew he was in trouble. Oh, yes, yes, that's what I think. And I said, and I want to know, what was the name of my daughter? Well, I don't know. I knew she was your daughter. I'm like, that's not good enough, is it? So if you are trying to help her, then why don't you know her first name? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, that's exactly right. You didn't even know her, and you were already critiquing her, weren't you? And he said, well, you know, I just can't stand it. I said, you can't stand what? Well, I can't stand it when people go slow. It just annoys me to death. And I said, if, what does the Bible say? <laughs> Don't you love it? it? Doesn't scripture just nail people, doesn't it? For I say unto you, right, according to first testimony. Anyway, so I said, doesn't the Bible say that if you hurt one of these children, it would be better if you had a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown off of a bridge than to injure them? And he said, oh, that would hurt. <laughs> and I said, so what are you going to do when you start to have this feeling over you that you need to critique somebody at the front? Well, I don't know. I just don't know if I can. I said, you know what? Go to the bathroom. Go walk out in the in the parking lot. Do something so that you won't be tempted to hurt one of these children because I know that my friends so-and-so and somebody else's kids, they were all very hurt and my daughter was probably very hurt by you today. And he said, well, I sure didn't mean that and I didn't know, I, you know, whatever. Well, when I was done, I walked away and I thought I would feel so satisfied. Don't you love it when you put somebody in your place? Don't you feel so satisfied? I didn't feel satisfied at all. In fact, I felt really guilty. And the man's face was really red. And you know what? My friends were at the back. Do you know what? Do you know that friends can help you to be worse? Have you ever noticed that? You know what my friends were saying? They're in the back and they're going, give me five. That was great. Wow, that was cool. And I'm like, well, I kind of let him have it. I didn't yell at him. Well, doesn't that make me perfect? And they said, well, you know, you did something we all wanted to do, and I'm so glad you told him off. I bet he really had that coming. Well, I could have felt better, but I still didn't feel very good. In fact, my hands started to shake. You know how when you've been so angry, you can anybody have these feelings? Oh, I'm, not, I'm so unhappy that I did that. And I want you to know that all week I had to think about what I had done. I didn't know his phone number. <laughs> I did know his name, but I was really ashamed of myself. And so I had this focus that when I saw him on Sabbath, I was going to take him aside and apologize to him. Do you know what happened the next Sabbath? No, he did come. He had a stroke on the front seat, and they took him out by ambulance. And I go, did I contribute to that stroke? <laughs> yeah, maybe it was a diabetic coma. It was something where he ended up going to the hospital. He was really sick. So when I finally saw him, I had to apologize. And knowing how much he likes potlucks and that that was the highlight, I made him a casserole too. But you know what? You can't take back anything that you say, can you? And I was intentionally trying to hurt him because he hurt my daughter, right? And it is not okay to act that way. And what does forgive, I mean, what does non-forgiveness do to our mental health? Can you think of anything? Yeah. It can make us depressed. Yet, yeah, hold on to something anger long enough and you will develop a nice 
amount of depression. What about spiritually? What does anger and unforgiveness do to us spiritually? God doesn't forgive. What was that? God does forgive us, but it separates us. We we feel like we have to like be separated from because we're doing something. What else were you going to say? It deadens your spirit. Actually, we kind of want to hide, don't we? We feel really dirty, and so we hide, and so there's this huge rift between us. That's right. So it's really an issue, isn't it? Okay, what does it do to us physically? Makes your blood pressure go up. What else? Uh, It can give you anxiety, gives you nervousness. If you're very upset about something, you can have a skin eruption. You can have some kind of uh, infection. It makes your immune system be suppressed. Isn't that interesting? There are lots of things. What about when you're angry at somebody else? Do you ever think that sometimes you get angry at God and you blame him for things? Yeah. All of us have probably been hurt by somebody, have we not? All right. So I'm going to give you a little quiz. Let's see how you do on it. Forgiveness is an option and it's based on our feelings. So what's wrong with that statement? And I'm going to repeat it for the recorder. It's not an option. How do we know that? The Bible tells us that we must forgive, doesn't it? Does it say that we can pick and choose who we're going to forgive or when to forgive or if we want to forgive or any of that, it's not an option. Mark 11.25 tells us real clearly that. Okay, let's go to true or false. Forgiveness is a good idea if someone deserves it. How do you know that? That's correct. Forgiven, you shall be forgiven. By the way, it's not just for the other person. It's also for us, isn't it? And what do we get when we forgive other people? Relief, peace, and joy. So when we think that we are only going to forgive somebody who's going to forgive us back or somebody who's deserving or whatever, we're losing all that peace and joy that we're supposed to have. Okay. Forgiveness is a reward given to man by God. True or false? Forgiveness is a reward given to man by God. Let's say that again. Did I say it is a gift? So it is a reward given by God to man. Am I right? So that would be true. Oh, okay. Reward should be, I should say, an on, on, yes, it's a, I should say it's a gift. When we choose to honor God and live by kingdom principles, we are rewarded with forgiveness. Mercy, when we get something we don't deserve. Grace, when rewarded, which we don't deserve. Unlike people around us, and a happy, um, unlike people around us, they don't have a happy outlook if they are not getting a forgiveness, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Do you feel when you've forgiven somebody that you feel that amazing grace? What's the difference between grace and mercy, by the way? Anybody? I'm studying that right now. I'll tell you what I think. I think mercy is undeserved favor from God. 
And grace is that he covers us with blessings even though we don't deserve it. Does that sound right? Can we do a little bit of amazing grace? You want to do that? Are you all ready to sing? You want to stand up for a minute? Why don't we stand? Let's sing one phrase of it. You're going to help me, Diane, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am done, was blind, but now I see. I'm in the Academy Chapel. Where are you? You can have a seat. Okay. I hope that you'll come soon. Okay. Okay. <laughs> He's lost. Okay. All right. Here's another one. Forgiveness requires that the other person confesses or makes up to you. Why is that? That is correct. It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter if they're going to forgive you or not. God has asked us to forgive no matter what, right? We're individually responsible to forgive somebody, whether they forgive us or not, right? When people say, well, you know, I could go and say I'm sorry to that person, but if I do, I know that they're not going to respond back. That is not your prerogative, right? It is up to God. God wants to make sure that we are, are forgiven and that we need to know when we go to sleep at night and we put our head on that pillow that, that he and us, we are all clear, right? All right. Forgiveness is tough to do in the natural. I don't know what that means. Wow. Oh, okay. We need, who do we need to help us with that? God helps us. The Holy Spirit can impact us, can it not, when we're asking for forgiveness? Okay. Forgiveness is reconciliation. False. It takes one person to forgive and two to reconcile. God's heart is that we be reconciled to one another, but this isn't always possible if the other person won't try. Psalm 133.1, you can look that up later. Forgiveness is not saying that what the other person did was okay. That is true. Forgiveness is not saying that what the other person did to you was okay because the Lord is not responsible. I mean, we're not responsible for them, correct? All right. Forgiveness is minimizing the hurt or wrong that was done to you. False. All right. Forgiveness is pardoning the offense. Well, what? let's say, can I use a really awful thing? Let's say that a child molester molested your children. Does that mean that we don't report them? No, but we aren't supposed to hold it over their head. Does it mean that they don't need to pay some kind of a, um, a penalty for what they've done? Does it mean that we're going to let them come in and, and babysit our children? Does it mean that we're not going to tell their church members what happened? Like, none of that. We have to recognize that forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did is okay or that we go back to where we were. It just means that we have to forgive them and not hold it over their head. 
Because really, forgiveness is for our hearts, isn't it? It helps our mental health. If you have a spirit of unforgiveness towards someone, you can have a tortured mind. Have you ever read that story? The account in the Bible where the um, the landowner, remember this story? I deleted it on here by accident. But anyhow, the landowner was forgiving somebody their debt and wasn't going to take their kids and their wife or whatever. But then the next one, when they were having a problem with somebody, they wouldn't forgive. And it said the Lord gave them over to torturers. Well, I think that that's significant. Do you think we can be tortured when we don't forgive people? Absolutely. All right. The more we obsess about something, the more miserable we get, don't we? The more we want somebody paid back and revenge for them, the worse it is. The more my attitude will change when I have an issue. And when we have unforgiveness, we are allowing ourselves to wallow in spiritual filthiness. We need to shower in the water of the Word and the blood of Jesus. Can you say amen? And hopefully none of you are wallowing because it would be really sad. God wants his people to have healthier lives, not tortured lives, and he desires that we forgive. And why is it that he would desire that? For our own health, for our own joy, for our own mental health, for our own peace. For our, he wants us to have good lives. When we represent Jesus fully to other people and we don't have all these things in our life, we can represent him more purely, can we not? All right. So I told you that I had a, a surprise. He almost didn't arrive, but, you know, he found his way. Remember I told you a little bit about Carlo this, this week? So I'm bringing him up here, and I thought I'd interview him. I don't see that our, our mic is working. Do you know how to work mics, Carlo? No idea, huh? All right, we're going to have to share this. Yeah, if somebody knows, that would be great, but that's great. Yes, it's an overused comment, but they said poison. When you don't forgive somebody, it's like having them, wait, you drinking the poison, and you're waiting for them to die, but you're the one who drank it, right? Because we are obsessing about it over and over. All right, maybe we'll just use this microphone. We'll share it. You think we can share it? Okay, this is, this is my son that I'm very proud of, and, and I'm so glad he came. <laughs> so, yes, that's okay. I'm glad that you're here. So tell me a little bit about, uh, I think everybody always wants to know, how did you lose your arm? But let's start with where you grew up. Um, I grew up in Haiti. In the big city of? Port-au-Prince. And, you know, your mother and your father, they got together, and she, your mother thought that he'd make a good husband for her. He was a baker. And then she found out after your brother was born that he had another situation. What was that? Um, he has a wife. He had a wife and what? And kids, actually. Yeah, and many children, and... He also had a wife who got a little bit angry when she found out that he had a girlfriend with a baby, right? Mm -hmm. And what do they usually do when they get angry in Haiti? Well, they try to eliminate you in different ways. And one of the common ways they use is to put a curse on you or 
um, try to do, do evil against you. And so voodoo curses are very, very common. You almost don't want to get to know people very well in your country because if they get angry, that is very common, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And so they put voodoo curses on you, and they probably also told you that, um, that anything that would happen bad, that would mean that the curses were working. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your arm and how that, what happened to it? I lost my arm when I was four and a half and I fell and I broke my wrist and my grandmother. On your right arm, which you were right-handed at the time. Yes, and thought that if my mother knew, my mother would be stressed or even more stressed, I should say. Because, because it, she was in poverty and... She didn't need bills. and Yes, and then my grandmother decided to see if my arm could be fixed or could be healed without letting her know. And unfortunately, we went to a leaves doctor, which we call herbal doctor, and they tied my arm with some stuff in it, and the blood could not circulate to the point that my arm became gangrene. And after 14 days... Of not being able to remove, remove that it, rope, yeah. The, basically, the arm died. And so when it died, you had to have your arm amputated as fast as possible to save your life. And you had to be taken from your grandmother's. So it was six hours away from the city, all across the uh, valleys and cow paths and out in the dark. And they had to get there. So it was a very long, excruciating trip. So you got to the hospital. They had your mom there because she needed to see that she had to make decisions about having your arm removed. She was fearful of having your arm removed because why? Well, there are two. I said one of the main reasons was is because how the society will look at you and then how, because at that time, to even today, and most, most, most of the kids who have a physical disability or any handicap um, in, Haiti. in Haiti, they are disowned by their parents. And the reason is that there is such a terrible time of surviving there that means that the kids that are well get the food and they get the education. And kids who are handicapped are either beggars, they are really not allowed to have schooling. So your mom had great fears with you and taking care of you and feared about what would happen in your future. That would be normal. Yes. All right. What did your dad think when he found out? Well, uh, immediately when, because my mom had to make a decision because they said, if I stay any longer, I could die because the infection start to spread, and if that touched my heart, or if that blood get into my heart, I could even be killed. I could, I could die. So when my father heard that I have one arm, basically, they had to make a decision. Now, at one time, he was very proud of you because you looked a lot like a him, like and he thought that, you know, after all, you were his kid. He was very proud of you, and he even treated you very kindly. But when you got handicapped, things were completely different. Yes, because he told my mother that I was not his child, therefore I am my mom's child, not, not, not his. So he completely disowned you, and he wasn't, only, um, he wasn't only unkind about your handicap, he also told your mother something which was very awful about taking your kids out in the boat. Yes, and one of, I mean, that, that was really terrible too, because my mom... It did not really go to him like very often to ask him for support because my mom was to help us. But one time my mom went to him and then probably asked him for support for us. And he told my mom that one of my mom just went, um, all of us, me and my older brother, went to the middle of ocean and the boat and then tie a big stone in our neck and then 
drown ourselves instead of coming to him all the time asking him for support. So he was ready to get rid of them, and he thought that. How did that make you feel about, well, first your grandmother who did that and put that, had that man put that rope around you and then um, around your arms so that you lost your arm, and then you also had a dad that disowned you. How did you feel about that? Well, at first, I never really put myself in a situation to blame people. And one thing that helped me to survive is God is in control. I always believe if something happened to me, today or for some reason, God knows why. And at first, I remember when, when I lost my arm, I used to blame, I, I first blamed my cousin, but I took that out of my mind for some reason. And the reason I start to blame, try to blame someone else was because I was trying to be like other people. And when kids like you try to um, make fun of you and you start asking questions. But one thing that keep me strong was, you know, I believe that God is in control. So if that happened to me, I mean, I, I think God will make a way. And that helped me also to, for, to forgive and then to try to, to be happy. And then I, the other thing too, I could not be in peace if I have something against someone too. And I, remember, I can re remember when I was even in middle school, when other kids said they are not my friend, I will cry. So you were bullied in your school? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. You went to school, you, went, you got to go to a handicapped school, and that was a real treat to be in a handicapped school because um, there wasn't a lot of places for children with handicaps. Yes. So when you were there, you had one time you'd heard on the street, you'd heard music. What was it? You were hearing a parade, and what did you hear? Well, I heard wind instruments. Some of them were trumpets. Of course, trumpet was very loud, and... I will definitely notice it. And also, I, I heard a lot of other instruments. For some reason, I was really attracted to the trumpet. So you were excited, and you, but you thought a boy like you could never play because you were in poverty, and that would be a lot of stress on your mom. But you went to the school, and every day, the kids would depart, and you were left in the classroom alone. Where were they going? Well, they were going to music, um, to the music, uh, to, to music practice. Mm -hmm. or practice, to sure. practice music or to learn about music or any instruments. That's what they... And, and you were left behind? Yes, I was left behind because... So even though you were at a handicapped school, what did they tell you? Well, they told me that I could not play because I need to arm to play an instrument. And so did you ask them a couple of times that year? Well, I did not stop. And, and I think I could quit actually asking, but I did not because... I faced that same issues before because people usually used to tell me that I could not do things. And then when people tell me that I could not do something, for me, it became like a challenge. And I remember many other um, things in my life when I was younger, I always tried to compete with kids like my age. And so that gave me confidence that I can. And whenever they told me that I could not, and I started to think about ways to prove them wrong. So that kept me to... Uh, push me to keep asking them every day. Anytime that I had a chance, I keep asking. I say, well, can I try at least? Can I try? Can I try? Can I try? So you did that several times a year, and then the next year you did that several times a year, and then the next year you did that several times a year, and then the next year you did that several times a year, and you kept getting denied. But one day, what happened? One day there was another guy. He's a, a music teacher too, but he, he was there, and then he said, well, you know, I, I think 
we should let him play. I think he can play the trumpet. If you want to play, let him try. And, and they gave you this really prestigious trumpet. I wish if it was. <laughs> but there was not any instrument too left for me. But because I keep asking, they find something that they never use and then they say, okay, well, this is the, the trumpet. Now show us how you're going to play it. And I show them how I'm going to play it. And because when they told me that I could not, I start thinking about where I say, well, I can use my five fingers. If I use my baby finger to hold in my thumb, hold the trumpet, I still have three fingers. But although I could do that, but still my fourth finger would have to be really quick, but he will be connected with my baby finger. Like baby twins, right? Baby so. twin. So I decided to make some, some stretch in my arm, on my fingers like this every day. So when they give me the trumpet, I make it work. And you continue to practice. You practice during the lunch. Now, this is a hungry boy who didn't always have something to eat, but you continued to practice, and you, it was because you couldn't take it home. You practiced wherever you could, as much as you could, until you had to go home. And pretty, pretty soon, I'm just like, ah. And pretty soon, you were playing the trumpet so well that you actually were teaching your fellow friends and students there at the school. Yes. And then pretty soon you were, teach, you were also playing in the Port-au-Prince Orchestra. Yes, I was principal trumpet there, and then also I played for other, oh, I, I played for the Haitian Palace several times, for the president, and played as soloist with the intentional choir, and all those things. So in a very short time, he was playing as a soloist, even for the big international choir that came to visit. So um, one day, your mom came to see you at camp. Do you mind if we tell that? Some of the stories you don't always feel comfortable with me sharing, but we're talking about forgiveness. Your mom came to see you, and you were playing, and you, I don't know, was it a concert or something? Um, I had a concert, I think that same day, that wasn't probably on a Sunday, and... But I stay in that camp because that was like a music camp for, for three weeks. They usually have it. And one of your friends saw your mom. I don't know how he knew that was your mom. And did you see your mom? Um, I did not see her at that time, but I think she wanted to see me too at that point. But she asked for me. And then, I mean, they can even see that's my mother because we, we look alike. Except you and I, we have you start yes, having yes, curly that's hair. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I said, but when it's humid, my hair curls, yeah, and then we look right. more alike. Okay. But anyway, um, so you, your mom was there, and somebody, she, somebody said, "Aren't you Carlo's mother?" What happened? Well, she denied. She denied it, and she. Why would you think she would deny that you were her child? Well, many reasons. Um, and I, I, I usually blame myself. Although my mother told me that not to blame myself. And I always push my mother. I used to push her um, to do things for me. I said, I, Mother, I want you to do this. Why? Why not? You see, the other kids, their parents are like this. Their parents, that's terrible. But um, she always tried to please me. And then she felt like maybe if I said that I am his mother, and people might look at him bad. Because what happened at that situation at that time too, my mother did not have a lot. And but she used to sacrifice herself like to not only to feed us, she will probably not even dress well 
to use that, that money to buy food for us, to feed us. So she was very self-sacrificing yes. for her kids. But it's unfortunate. I, at that time, I could not really understand it. But when, later on, when I started thinking, I said, well, I know my mother did not eat today. That day, she did not eat. But we are, we are always fed. But how would that happen? But I know that she basically sacrificed herself. And whenever she could not even buy like a nice pair of clothes to put on, it's because she was trying to save so that she can feed us. And in that situation, too, she always tried to make us look, I mean, do, um, to be on the top high, although she did not have any. So for that, I think that's why she said that. When I asked her why she uses, I said, oh, who told you that I said that? And I said, well, mother, I know because someone asked me, someone come and tell me, said, well, your mother come here, but your mother said this is your aunt. So did you feel that she was ashamed of you or she was afraid of embarrassing you? No, I mean, she did not, she was not afraid of me. I, I, I knew that she was really proud of me um, in many ways, but she was physically ashamed the way she is and then looking everybody else. So she was a rough disciplinarian. Yes. Got some beatings from her. And, and then when she married your stepfather, you got some beatings. You said you yes. got bloodied quite a few times. That's true. But you had no malice against your mother. Why is that? Because, you know, at, I mean, at first, I mean, I can say that my mother loves me no matter what. She will, she will put her hand on fire for me. I know that 100%. And I know that was for my good. And so even if it was not for my good, because there are some other people that was not, not doing things for my good, but I still love them because why? For me, I think having anything wrong against someone, you will never be in peace. I... I can remember, like, people, when they hurt me and then they try, sometimes, usually, when someone hurts you and that person feels ashamed, that person will try to go away from you. And I could not really stand that. So my mother, I know, there's no way I would not forgive her. I will forgive her all the time because I know she, she loves me. So you forgave her. How about your stepfather? He did some terrible things to you. He did terrible things to your mother, and he neglected you boys. So how is it that you forgave him? Well, that's a good question. And I think, for me, what is the most important in this line is because I think about things that I've done to God wrong, um, and I know God always forgives me. And I think it's a privilege if I can forgive someone else, if I can try to erase what someone did to me wrong and to forgive that person too. And for him, I think I'm not God. And if, if there's something one that person did to me, I have to smile with him. I have to do everything good because when you do good, you heal. So how did you get an attitude that God would be with you and that he loved you and that you need to forgive people and, and that you need to help, hold, not hold things against people? How did, how did that happen? Well, you know, sometimes I face different issues during my life, and I remember um, it's probably experience with God, too, because I remember sometimes when I challenged, for example, my handicap, I, I, I was challenged a lot, too, and sometimes because... When people will make fun of you, and then you will see other people have some advantages that you cannot really have, and you start asking yourself, why me? Did I choose to be this way? Did I choose this? But the, I remember one time I faced that issue, but I never talked to anyone about it. But one time what I used to do, I will um, exile myself, went very far. So you would take a breath. 
you would take a breather. Yes, and then I will stay in some areas where I'm alone with God and then ask the question. I pray and then sometimes I even cry. I say, why, 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 why? Me. And after that, when I come back, I'm normal and discuss this with God. But later on, why I realize is things happen in your life for a good reason that you don't know because God loves you too much to, I mean, to put you in a situation that you cannot handle. And there were many situations. We don't even have time to go into them, Carlo. You had people in the street that were playing with metal sticks and hit you in the eye, and they were afraid that your eye would be lost. Um, you also had a situation where you ran across the street to play with kids, and you ended up in the street. And you think that maybe you fainted because you hadn't eaten that day, and when you woke up, tires were going right by your head. People thought you had been killed. I mean, there were many things, and a lot of people would look at them and say, wow, that's because of the voodoo's really working. Um, actually, even your stepfather's mother hated your mother, and she feared that she was being poisoned, and she did voodoo on her. There was a lot of stuff around, but your religion kept you strong, and you had a, a, a experience with Christ that you pulled from. You'd also memorize scripture as a child. All of those things seemed to make you stronger. You, um, I know that you became an Adventist when you were 18, and he looks much younger than he is. And you didn't have the proper clothes for church. What, what was that about? Well, I did not have clothes because I could not afford them. Um, but at first, I will not really stop going to church. But later on, I start thinking because people... Sometimes they don't even know what you're going through when they start to talk about you. They say, oh, look at what he, you know. And again, whoever is, is, is in this situation will feel uncomfortable. So to avoid this, I remember I missed several Sabbaths. I did not go to church because I said, well, I don't have really proper clothes, well, clothes that people will agree with or people uh, will like. Was that when you were without shoes? Yes, I was at that time too. Because I remember at that time I only had one pair of shoes, and in, which I use um, on. If, if, for example, I kneel, people in, in, in my back can't even see my feet. I mean, the the, so it's the soles of your feet, feet were completely missing. Yes, and but I, you I, didn't have any glasses; you couldn't see. No, and so I stopped. Go, I I didn't go to church, but thankfully someone come and visit me and asked me. I said, "Well, you know, I I'm okay, I and mean, I." keep the Sabbath still, except I didn't go to church because of this reason. But after that, I decided, I said, you know what, I'm not going to church for anyone. I'm going to church anyway. So we have to realize that when we worship, it's for God, not for other people and what they say or how they act. But you did have another problem. You fell in love with a young girl at church, and you had an elder, a head elder that you really cared about, and he actually called you his father, or he called son. you son, and you were really close to him. What happened? Um... Well, that will change not until after I dated this girl. Um, her father was not too happy. I mean, I expected that too, although her mother had no problem with me because I have one arm. And I remember her father used to say to one of the guys that I know, he said, well, I mean, this guy is very smart. Yeah, I mean, I even he even went to the, school, to, my, to the school that I went to to see how, if I had good grades, and then saw that I had really good grades. So he seemed to really care about you. Yes, but 
one time he went to the school that where my, my ex-girlfriend was. And he started talking to the director because that first elder was the director of the school. And he said, man, do you know what happened? Is, do you know that Carla was dating my daughter? And he said, are you kidding me? Is that, is that true? And he said, yeah. And he said, why doesn't he go to, to uh, St. Vincent or an handicapped school or somewhere he can find an handicapped find like handicapped him? Girl. Like him, an handicapped girl like him. And her mother was shocked because her mother was not an Adventist and was shocked to hear that from the elder. And then the first thing her mother told me, he said, you know, Carlo, I mean, you know that I don't have any problem with you, but people in your church don't like you. And I said, why do you say that? And then she mentioned, she said, well, this is what the first elder. They didn't like you because of your handicap. Yeah. They didn't like you because of your clothing. They didn't like you because. Well, she didn't even mention anything, not until she said, well, this is what this guy said about you. This is what he said. This is what he said. And I didn't expect that to hear that from him. And so it was very hurtful because it was, it was somebody special. It was hard for me. I mean, I, I can still remember I was in church because that, was, that happened on Friday. I remember I was in church on Sabbath, and I could not stop. I, I cried all, all the service, and I keep watching him. And people ask me, but I didn't want to explain my, my, I mean, my life with people. And I said, well, everything's going to be fine. But I feel like bad, too, not talking it out. So I, after church, I asked him, I said, can we talk a little bit? And he said, oh, sure. Come. I mean, he even has the, so that's he called me his son still. And I said, yeah, um, this is what you said. This is what you said. I mean, don't feel happy with it. That's, probably, that's why I, I, uh, you see me crying all, all the time in church. He said, me? And then he denied it. And not only um, my ex-girlfriend mother told me that he said it. Also, my girlfriend was there to mention that he so said she heard it. Yeah. So he lied to you, and it did hurt the relationship, and it hurt her parents' relationship with you as well. Yeah. That did not hurt it. Actually, the first thing that came to mind, I have to be honest, I said, well, you know what? I'm not coming to the church anymore. And that's the, that, the, that, that was the thought that came, keep circled my brain. I said, well, you should not come to this church because those people, oh, they don't like you. They, they, they try to fake it with you. They don't even appreciate you. They, even if they show it, they just want to take advantage of you. Because I used to play uh, trumpet for them all day, I mean, every Sabbath and every time. And I, I said, well, and I keep thinking about it. I say, well, you know what? I'm not in the church for them. I'm in the church to save my life, to have a better relationship with God, and to, to save my soul. So therefore, whatever they say is their business. That's not mine. So one of the things is, even though things are really bad all around you, keep your focus on God and know that you're going to church for him, not for the people yeah. that were being very discouraging. Well, your stepfather was really something. He married your mother. He actually is the one who introduced you to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But within a very short time of living in that one-room house with him and your mother and all of your pretty soon brothers and sisters, he started messing around on your mother, having an affair, mm -hmm. um, having several affairs. Your mom actually got into a big row with one of the girlfriends. He kept you going to seeing some of these girlfriends, too. It just He just did a whole lot of things, and then he left the church. But you still stayed. You stayed for the right reason, which is to honor God, and you really felt that was really important. And then one day when you were at the handicap school and you were staying there, by the way, um, there was not enough economics so that he could stay home. He ended up getting 
pushed out to other families to stay with, including an aunt who was quite a pistol. She was another one who liked to beat you, but you still have forgiven her and you even help her these days. Yeah. Yes, it's amazing how many people you help even though they were not always kind to you. But your, your brother came to the handicapped school to see you and told you one day about your mother, and what was that? Um, that my mother left the house, which is like a, something usual that we know, but never come back even at, the, even at night. That was unusual. So my brother, my brother said, so yesterday she left, and she never come back until today. I said, really? And then she they, didn't come back even today. Yeah, I'm talking about the Until next day. Today. Not okay. even even today. Yes, okay. And and then we start um, finding information in prison and um, different hospital and to try to see if we could find her body, and we could not find her body even today. There are many things called coup d'etats, which is where they have uprisings in their country, and people are shot and killed. In fact, one time you were. There's no bathrooms in the homes, and Carlo went several blocks to the public restroom, and on his way back, there was a soldier with a gun pointing out everything, and he was looking at you, and he said, miraculously, the Lord must have covered his eyes because he didn't see Carlo, and then he went around the corner, and Carlo went home and found out the next day that many people had died in the streets that night. Hundreds of people had died. Thousands of people had died. Mothers, children, fathers, etc., and this is what they expected happened to his mother, is that there was another uprising, and over there they don't call you, they don't come to your house, they just bury the bodies. So you lost your mother. And how, what did that leave your, oh, how many brothers and sisters? Um, we are six, so I have five siblings. And how young were they? They were very young because um, I think at that time my youngest brother was probably five. So that meant you all had to band together and try to find food. Your mother had been working on the street, um, as in like selling clothing. Some days she'd have prosperous times and other times she didn't, but it was really hard. And so now it was all up on you guys. And the Lord still blessed you. So you went to a camp, a summer camp, where you were doing music, and somebody from Mott College in Flint came, and they saw you. And they offered what? Well, they, they offered me an opportunity to come here in a cultural exchange program at my community college. So it was like a student exchange. And so then they brought you, and it was, uh, what was the uh, date? That was January 5th, 2010. And so you came in the middle of the winter, and you came with all your warm clothes and your mittens and your hats and scarves, right? Yeah, because I come in a, in a so cold country, right, Mother? That's right, and it was it was cold country. You said you saw people at the airport, and they were all in these coats, and you wondered why they were wearing those coats. Did yeah. you find out? Actually, I knew why they were they wore them, but the problem is I did not have one, so I, I would not be able to find one in Haiti, too, because they will not sell them why they need it for. And so they put you into this warm family where they helped you with currency and food and clothing. Is that true? I was not in the family. We, we were like five who came to the program, and then they put us in a house. At just a big house, and you had to kind of fend for yourself? That was an apartment, actually. An apartment, okay. And you had been accepted into the program. You didn't think you were coming in January. You thought you were going to come like in May. That would have been a nice introduction. However, the Lord was with you, Carlo. 
What happened one week after you arrived? That was the big earthquake that happened in Haiti in January 12. Basically the same, the following week and the same day. Like Tuesday this week I came and then the following week next Tuesday, that was the earthquake. So identically one week later. And what happened to the school where you were practicing music and doing things and would have been practicing probably that day for a big new music festival? Uh, it was destroyed. And how about the people? Well, tons of people were killed in, in, that, uh, in that building, too. So you really feel that the Lord blessed you. Oh, yeah. So you were in the Flint area, and you were playing music, and sometimes you would go to different churches. And one of the churches that you um, were really befriended at was, uh, which one? That was Grand Blank. And you were at Grand Blank. Somebody was an alumnus that came to visit from Michigan State, and they asked you, had you ever played for anyone at Michigan State? Yeah, actually, I talked to her last week. She, she asked me, man, you are very talented. Why don't you go and audition at Michigan State? And so? And I was, I mean, I did not know exactly if I could. So I said, why, why not? But I never did anything. And then one day she came, she called me. She said, Carlo, guess what? I talked to the trumpet professor. I told him about you. He's so excited. He wants to hear you play. So you played, and he was impressed. And what happened? Well, he was impressed. He said, well... Um, I don't know your goal, but if you ever would like to consider to audition at Michigan State, I am sure that all the faculty will be thrilled to give you a full ride. So you got a full scholarship at Michigan State University. And it was hard because, you know, you don't have parents that you call for different, you know, tuxedos and instruments and books and uh, food. So even though you have all your school paid for you needed some room and board. Well, one time we were in New York City and somebody, because you often got what you call gigs, that's, that's musical opportunities, and uh, you had a gig in New York City and somebody suggested what? He said, Carlo, I'm going to down, going downtown Manhattan. I'm going to see Wynton. Do you, do, would you like to go with me? I would like to introduce you to Wynton Marcellus. Have any of you heard of Wynton Marcellus? One of the most popular trumpeters right now. Okay, so you went down to see him, and what happened? At first, I, and he gave his friend, who introduced me to him, to play his trumpet. And his, his friend said, no, no, Carlo, you try it. So I played, and from that point, I was, play, I was trying, to, uh, I think that was an Altunian concerto, and playing his trumpet. His trumpet is very nice. And, and he turned, he said, man, I like this guy. And from that point, we, we talk a little bit, we exchanged contact information, and he promised me that he would be really interested to work with me. And, but I emailed him, never really re received any email back. And the follow, I think the following year, and one of his friends, who I, I met again at the International Trumpet Guild where I was playing, and sent me a text, said, Carlo, we're going to be in Michigan, and make sure that you come backstage. I think we will like to see you or something like this. And I said, okay, sure. And I come a little bit early. I went, uh, I was watching them for the dress rehearsal. And then went and see me and said, man, I, I remember I met you last year. Would you mind playing for me today, today after, after the, the, the concert? I said, sure. Weren't you too nervous to play for him? Well, I was actually. Um, because he is Winton Marsalis. Because, you know, he, I know... When Wynton Marsalis is a, one of the most 
and talented musician, especially on trumpet, who can master jazz and classical with no difference, actually. So at the end, I played for him after everybody left because it was very late, but he told me, even if it is late, wait for him. So I wait for him. After that, he gave me a drive, um, a ride home, have his driver drive me home. Oh, a chauffeur living limousine? <laughs> but after I played for him, he asked me a specific question, which I did not know why. He said, well, Carlo, if I would like to help you, how do you think I can help you? But now, as a musician, the first thing that came to mind maybe ask him to work with you because he's, uh, he's famous. And I said, well, you know, I think maybe to have lesson with you that will be very great for me. But I think about it, I said, well, again, you live in Manhattan and I live in Michigan. It's going to be very difficult. He said, yeah, that's true. And, and also he apologized. He said, well, I, I apologize because I did not respond to your emails because I receive so many emails per day, so I basically don't really check my email. And I said, well, I don't know what to ask. And then that thought came to my mind. I said, well, I should probably say about my school. I said, well, and about my school. And immediately when I said that, so, he said, immediately when I said that, he said, so are you in school right now? I said, no, I'm supposed to start in January. And he said, well, give me your address. Uh, he said, how much is it? I said, well, I'm not sure. I think it's a probably about $13,000 for the women board because I have a full wife for tuition. He said, well, give me your address. I'll send you the check. So for four years, Wynton Marcellus has been sending him a check and paid all of his room and board. And Carlo just graduated from Michigan State in May. You can all come to his graduation party July 10. So anyway, that's been very exciting. You um, got really excited about soul winning. And you went to Emanuel. Any of you doing Emanuel, some of the Emanuel classes? And you got really excited about it. Oh, you have some people here that have been at Manual with you? Yes. yes. Oh, Howardson. Pastor Mark Howardson. Okay. So anyway, you started giving Bible studies, and you've been successful. Well, I should say God has blessed you in bringing souls to the kingdom. You've brought in six from Michigan State. Aren't they from Michigan State? Yeah. And then uh, you, I think you had 100 Bible studies that you asked for this last year. It hasn't been easy at Michigan State. There have been times when they have been very angry because you wouldn't practice on Friday nights or even Sabbaths. You even had to miss one of your big opportunities in New York City where? In Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall. And they said, well, there's other people that are Adventists that will work on Sabbath, but you decided not to, and you kept serious about that. Um, you love ministry, you love social, I mean, you love to be evangelizing out there, you love giving Bible studies, and you're good at it, and uh, you, you would love to do that more than anything, but you had an opportunity that came up, and you just can't seem to let it go. What would that be? Well, first I was praying, I said, so that God can open doors and close doors, and then it seems like only one door opened at the last minute, which which is even impossible because to have um, those opportunities, you have to audition, and you have to be really, really good, especially there's a little competition for it, too. With there's usually only one position like this, and you got it. Yes, and then usually they will take doctoral student, not master's. And for some reason, I, 
I sent even videos. I, I was not sure, so I said, I'm not going to send that many difficult things. I sent stuff that I play in church, except a couple songs that was already online, that are t- very technical, that was already online. And then when I sent that, and they were really, really happy, and then they decided to give me an assistantship, teaching assistant position at uh, Penn State University. So at Pennsylvania State University, he's got a full ride for a master's. He's starting there in the fall, and he will be teaching as well. So he gets a teaching assistant, so he's going to be able to um, go there in the fall. wasn't exactly what you wanted, but, but God is good, and he's been watching over your steps. And I thought I'd have him play you some music. Would that be okay? Oh, should I also tell you, before I started... Should I say, I, I invited um, Carlo to come home for Thanksgiving dinner. And the first year, when I called him to give him a ride, he told me, what What was that that you told me? He said, I double booked and I can't come home with you. I'm like, well, okay. I just saw him and I thought he probably could use a place to go home. So a whole year went by. A whole year went by. And then I invited you again, and this time you felt so guilty you decided you had to come over. And that the rest is history. Now he's my son. My husband and I are a mother and father. Well, I can always talk while you're not there. Yeah. How old is he? He loves it when, I, when people ask because he doesn't look that age. But remember that when you're in poverty, you're out of school, and you're trying to go places, and you can't always finish your schooling. By the way, in Haiti, schooling is not free. You have to pay a lot of money for your testing, and that's what he seems to be doing for his brothers and sisters, is trying to pay to get them through school so they have a chance out there. So, Carlo, they want to know how old you are. Carlo just on May 15 turned, the same day that he graduated, 33 years old. Could that be true? I keep telling when he gets worried about things, you know, you're going to look your age one of these days. <laughs> when, we're, when it comes to forgiveness, we are to reflect God's character, are we not? Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Can you imagine? I said at the beginning of the week, the reason I was thinking about Carlos, my mom always said, If you think something's wrong, there's like somebody who's suffering a lot more than you. And there's always somebody out there. We're to bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances and forgive as the Lord forgave you. If we don't forgive others, then we don't feel that they're really worth forgiveness, right? To keep bitterness away, we said bitterness begins with what? Unforgiveness or anger. And it turns into bitterness when we hold on to it. And bitterness brings disease, pain, and it it also grows negativity. I'll have people that come in for counseling. I'm a counselor in Lansing. And people will tell me about their parents and what happened and how angry they are. And it's like they hold that same thing that went on with their parents. It's amazing how we can spew it and we can make it like a disease for our whole family and those around us. When we forgive, it's for our emotional health. Not for God's. By the way, we always think, well, you know, we're doing this for God. But God wants us to be healthy. And he wants us to do better than we're doing. And he wants us to have a stable life. And when we can forgive people, 
it's a wonderful thing. It's a relief for us. So we really need to do ourselves a favor and forgive. What was it? I said something the other day and I said to you, I'm really angry about that. And you said, oh, mother, don't do that. You're going to lose your eternal health. I mean, your eternal life. And you know what? If we have a lack of forgiveness, we don't want to lose our eternal life, do we? It's so important. Mark 11, 25 and 26 says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him and let it drop. Which in the Amplified Bible says, Leave it, let it go, in order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you of your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. Isn't it wonderful? Ah, right? But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your failings and shortcomings. So if you've not forgiven somebody, you are missing the umbrella of God's grace over your life. Another thing is that Satan can get advantage over us if we don't forgive. And it says to be quick to forgive because the longer we hold on to it, the uglier it gets. And God has commanded that we forgive. It's not a choice. We really need to forgive. We need to make sure that we're not bringing it up anymore. People say, well, what about forgive and forget? Well, we have emotional lives and we can see things in our minds and we may not forget, but we really need to forgive. People say, well, I don't know how I can forgive people because, or, I'm sorry, I don't know how if I've forgiven someone because I still think about something. Well, the Lord, it's like an onion, isn't it? And every time there's another piece come up, just ask the Lord for forgiveness for that. You remember, you remember all different pieces of it from different ways. There are times when we do not want to forgive. Here's a quote. However sorely they have wounded us. This is from Ellen White. We are not to cherish our grievances and, our, and sympathize with ourselves over our injuries. We're to pardon all who have done evil to us. Sometimes we think, well, I have to heal first and then I'll forgive. We need to forgive no matter what. Forgive quickly. Forgive freely. Forgiveness means to excuse a fault to absolve from a payment, to send them away, cancel, bestow favor unconditionally. Do not spend your life paying and collecting debts. Matthew 18.25 says that others cannot always pay for what they need to do. Forgiving may sound really outrageous, but here's one of the things that we need to do, and it will help us. If we can forgive, we can pray to God to help us to want to forgive people. We cannot always forget. Forgiving doesn't always mean that. But it says in Colossians, I'm sorry, in Christ's object lessons, shouldest thou not have compassion on thy fellow servant even as I have had pity on these? And so here I'm going to say this at the end. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. To forgive is like putting a 50-pound pack down after a 10-mile climb up a, a mountain. To forgive is to fall into a chair after a 15-mile marathon. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. To forgive is to reach into your hurting past and recreate it in your memory so that you can begin again. To forgive is to dance to the beat of God's forgiving heart. It is also to ride the crest of love's strongest wave, our only escape from history's cruel unforgiveness, our only passage to the future is the miracle of forgiving. Well, it's been a really good week with all of you. Thank you for coming to my seminar. And I hope that 
your mental health is going to be better because you did come and that your self-esteem is going to be looked at through the eyes of Christ and that um, hopefully you'll be able to give the forgiveness that you need to to other people if you've been in, in some way motivated to do that today. Let's stand and we'll have prayer. Loving Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son that came to this earth and suffered so many things on this earth at the hands of humans like us. And Lord, the things that we suffer are usually pretty minor compared to what your Son went through. And Lord, we pray that you will give us the resilience. We are inspired by stories of Carlo and other people who have been able to get through some of the things in this world. We know our time on this earth is so short Help us not to be overly focused with day-to-day, but to keep our eyes on you and to know that someday we're going to be in a perfect world made new with you, enjoying your time together with us. And thank you, Lord, for giving us a camp meeting when we can get this revival and retreat. In your holy name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.